Welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Charlotte Stebbing-Mills, and today I'm joined by Charlie Spurway, who is a renowned relationship psychologist in the UAE who combines psychotherapy and coaching to help men and women navigate the complexities of relationships, both with themselves and others. Welcome to the show, Charlie. It's good to see you. Good to see you too. Thank you for having me back. I am very, very happy to have you back and to dive into relationships in a work context, because we all know, right, relationships at work are super important. But I really want to know from your expertise and your perspective, how do our workplace relationships differ from our personal relationships outside of work? Yeah, that's a great question, um, because we interact with people on a daily basis, but there is something that's slightly different with the way we interact with people in the workplace. And it's almost that professionalism, it's almost that standoffish, and um, what we find mostly is there's a removal of emotions to a certain point Mm -hmm. to be productive. Um, And that's the key difference here, I think, with most relationships in office or corporate based. Um, we don't always see people as human and we kind of see them as maybe a more of a robotic kind of um, player, if you like, within the bigger field of how the operation is working. Um, Whereas in our personal relationships, it's more about the laughter, the the emotions, um, the connection um, and the vulnerability. Mm, Yeah, you can definitely see that, especially in traditional workplaces. And do do you think that's necessarily a, a good thing? I know that's it's probably not a very binary answer, but like, how do you see those two types of relationships playing out for success? So obviously, as a psychologist, I believe that there's, um, you know, huge um, need to look at them both. Right. And um, if we don't incorporate emotions, if we don't incorporate connection um, and if we don't incorporate um, the idea of kind of feeling wanted, needed, validated, um, and even praised um, to a point, those relationships, if they're not nurtured and cherished in the right way to link to our emotions, um, we're not going to be at our optimum. We're not going to be at the most uh, productive that we can be. Mm, Yeah, I hear that. One of the biggest complaints that we hear from people at varying levels within organisations is the office politics Right. And a big part of me really believes that that comes a lot from the lack of seeing each other as human, the lack of actually being able to express their emotions efficiently in the workplace as well. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, people don't know whether do I speak up? Do I not speak up? I don't want to overstep the mark. I don't want to be not emotional. I don't want to be too emotional. Um, And when it comes to those kind of workplace politics and not kind of knowing what to do it creates this level of eggshells right where people aren't truly being themselves and mostly it comes down to the fact they don't feel safe they don't feel safe to be vulnerable uh it's probably a workplace where they don't feel safe to articulate their opinions um or bring something forward to the table now this isn't in all workplaces and because some workplaces you know ask openly for suggestions for opinions for brainstorming Um, and ultimately we could argue does that create more productive teams and business um, and more prosperous results Um, I would argue yes as a psychologist but um, when we're in that element of not feeling seen and heard um, it can create disconnection and therefore not um, an area for you know optimum teamwork to take place. 
Mm, yeah, that's so interesting because I think that there is a a, a a balancing act that almost needs to happen because how far down the road do you go, right? Another common thing that we hear or gets questioned from time to time is like having friends at work. At what point is that okay? And at what point does that cross the line and we go beyond productivity? So like, how does somebody navigate that if they're leading teams and perhaps they've got some friendship dynamics in the group they've got some office politics in the group what do they need to understand about relationships to be able to perhaps navigate that well this is an excellent question and I'm hoping that this is where um, you'll ask me next by the podcast but um, I do a lot with attachment and the people who are more likely to have friends and need friendship relationships in the workplace are something that I would call an anxious preoccupied individual. Um, and they actually need connection. They need emotional um, kind of support from others for them to thrive. Yep. So on one element, um, if somebody fits into that category, it increases um, productivity and prosperous results. But if somebody is not an AP um, and they're more kind of avoidant, um, then actually they would prefer not to have emotions um, within the workplace so that they can work at their prime and their optimum. It's a great mm. question. I know, and I know you're dying to jump into attachment theory after <laughs> I ask you that, um, because your work is heavily based in attachment theory, right? But for a lot of people, they might not have heard what that actually is. So uh, what I love about the work that you do is it's, it's beyond the surface level, right? It's not just how to build relationships using different communication tools and things like that. And don't get me wrong, those things can be effective, but you go a layer deeper. And that's what I really love about your work. And I would really love for you to share one, what attachment theory is and why is it so important for our listeners, particularly leaders that are listening to this, but why do they need to have an awareness of it? Yeah, thank you. Um, I think in the workplace as well, um, you know, HR or employers or, or leaders feel like it's really good to do personality tests, right? And yes, they are great to a point. However, um, where does that come from? There's a deeper layer and this is where attachment is. So attachment is basically created through our childhood, um, depending on the upbringing that we have. And it's, it's mainly um, kind of consolidated between a baby to eight years old. But depending on what happens in our lives, whether we are bullied, go through divorce, parents are divorced, we lose a loved one, um, mostly our personal relationships are affected by it. Um, we kind of become more secure or insecure um, in our attachment theory. And there are four distinct labels or categories within the attachment theory. So tell us, perhaps give us some examples of where you've seen some of these before you describe what they are but you've seen just this history of perhaps somebody with a certain attachment style that they've developed in those early years and how that actually plays out in a workplace i've i've definitely got some experiences uh, which i'm more than happy to share but i'd really i'd be curious to know you um, perhaps one from you that you see on on a regular basis yeah, so let's go for the most positive one, right? Um, securely attached. Um, this is somebody who has that kind of fairy tale upbringing. Mum and dad are still together. Um, they communicate effectively. Emotions are talked about. Needs um, are met. Boundaries are met. Um, emotions are validated. Um, so it creates um, a kind of uh, a level of high self-esteem and, and confidence and security within that individual to know that they are safe they are okay to be vulnerable. They have that bravery, courage, and also other people can also be trusted um, and create positive connecting relationships. 
Whereas if we've gone through a situation where, um, you know, we our parents have divorced or we lost a loved one or maybe we had an alcoholic as a parent or it was turbulent, whatever might have happened, even as we move through school, university, into the workplace, romantic relationships of our own, if there's any chaos or turbulence and we haven't necessarily experienced positive, healthier um, coping strategies within relationship building, um, we can have a low self-esteem, which can lead to, you know, emotional dysregulation on a more common basis. We really need people, so maybe we're clingy or we push people away and we've learned that people are unsafe and we protect ourselves. So it could be that kind of really hot kind of person or really cold kind of um, interaction. Mm, they're great examples. One one example that that came to mind for me, and this is this is my personal experience, was um, I was working with a company, and there were um, some team members, let's say, that were having some extracurricular relationships <laughs> alongside their professional one, but it was seeping into the workplace. And something that I recognized within myself a little bit later than what I would have liked is that that really reminded me of my past experience with parents. And it was like, oh, like when I understood that that was why I was feeling the way I was much later, I was like, that makes so much sense now. Like why I got triggered in those moments. And Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know what attachment theory was at that point. But this this plays out all the time, right? That's just like one one example, probably on the more negative side um, of how that can portray. But I think because we tend to have a lack of awareness in the workplace, we don't connect those dots and we don't connect them soon enough and we don't have the support in connecting those dots. So therefore, we end up addressing a very different issue, which isn't the actual issue that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And in the workplace... Um, you know, we see these kind of um, differences within people all of the time. For example, if we think of our of the workplace environment, there's always going to be one person who's really charismatic, really kind, really caring, loves to have a good chat, loves to talk about emotions, might bring in personal aspects of their life. Then on the opposite, we know somebody who really doesn't want to talk about emotions. They keep themselves to themselves. Maybe they're really rational. They're really logical. They kind of keep people at arm's length. They only interact in the office when they need to. Um, And there's like this sense of kind of autonomy within them, that independence, right? Then maybe they're cold. Then we have another person who might swing between the two. They're hypervigilant on other people's emotions um maybe they're spiteful maybe they're frustrated maybe you know depending on on how they're coming across um but it could be that they're hyper vigilant right or we have that person we know they're always balanced they're always the person to go to they're calm they're collected they've got good emotional relationships with others um you know they talk to the chatters and they also talk to the people who don't talk you know and there's that sense of calmness and security around them um and these are like the four kind of attachment styles that that we're talking about and we probably go yeah i know that colleague or yeah that colleague sounds you know similar and, and it comes up um quite easily when we think about it yeah definitely can you just summarize the, what those four are and, and what you would label them as yeah so um obviously secure is where everybody you know wants to be in an ideal world um we have anxious preoccupied So that will be the person who um, loves to be um, close to people all of the time and needs that over kind of um, emotional stimulation with others. 
Um, a dismissive avoidant will be the person who's probably a lot more distant, a lot more cold, a lot more rational um, within their relationships. And then we have fearful avoidant and they kind of um, flip between the AP and the DA. Um, so one minute they could be like super hot with you, another they could be really cold and their regulation can flip between um, the two, but normally hyper vigilant um, with others and very attuned to emotional needs. Mm. So how does somebody navigate this? One, as an individual, but two, what is the role that an organisation ought to be playing within this? Because it is that layer deeper, right? And it is something that people don't necessarily know about themselves. So at what point and whose responsibility is is it to perhaps start to look at these issues, if any? Yeah, great question. I think leaders especially and managers of teams or the team environment or whoever's um, leading projects or managing projects, it's really important um, because those four attachment systems also have dominating limiting beliefs and they have those subconscious core beliefs that ultimately affect how we perceive the world and are biased. So it is down to the individual. And as I've said to you before, if you've never got a therapist, get a therapist to work on becoming more securely attached. But also, um, you know, as a manager, as a leader, even as another coworker, if we can start help recognize when somebody has those emotional needs or those performance needs um, on a deeper level, we can give them the toolkit or help assist um, in, in making those individuals perform at their optimum. And ultimately, therefore, it's both people's responsibility yeah. um, within. Um, and in terms of those limiting beliefs, you know, the common one for the AP, the anxious preoccupied is I'm not good enough. So if they're seeing all of the work that they're doing, they're normally the perfectionist, you know, maybe the people pleaser, they're trying to go above and beyond to keep pushing, but they don't truly believe whatever they do or say or how they act is ever enough. You can be a CEO and be an anxious preoccupied, for example, okay? Um, if someone in your team is a dismissive avoidant, okay, ultimately they are going to not perform very well if they're not um, having so much independence, right? If they're being forced in a teamwork scenario, if they're being forced to be micromanaged, mm. that sense of entrapment will create activation within a dismissive avoidant. Yeah. Okay, so again, when we're trying to get people in their comfort zones, leaders and managers need to know the fundamental differences to help assist yeah. with those people performing at the best in the workplace. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So what other limiting beliefs are common so the the i'm not enough what i'm doing isn't enough like that that is super common um and I, i'm so happy that you said that you know a ceo can be experiencing that because often particularly c-suites those at more senior levels they they then find a bit more shame in admitting these things because it's almost like but i'm not supposed to because i'm at this level right but attachment theory doesn't discriminate right we're just all human underneath the, the title so what are perhaps some of the other more um dominant limiting beliefs that are more common than perhaps people would like to openly share? 
Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I work with people who are actually, um, you know, CEOs and in the C-suite um, and also individuals who might be, you know, at the beginning of their careers. We can still have those core beliefs. And, yeah, that I'm not good enough one is always it, right? We can have a great work ethic. We can be highly ambitious and we can be really skilled at what we do. But fundamentally, if we don't believe what we're doing is good enough, yeah. um, then that goes back to an insecure kind of confidence attachment um, system. Um, another one might be, you know, there's something wrong with me, right? Why can I never get it right? Why did why did that not close? Why what happened here, right? Or maybe I'm in um, a team environment or I'm in a boardroom, and you're not feeling that whatever you're saying is being addressed. So the limiting belief would be, well, I don't matter. Yep. I'm not important. What I have to say isn't going to be good enough. It could be I'm always disrespected. Maybe I'm betrayed. Yep. right um and ultimately it can go back to those other ones of just feeling um unworthy um and they all kind of link and piggyback onto each other but those tend to be the most dominating um ones that i see in my clients mm, it's so interesting isn't it because like when when you then link that to attachment theory it's like it, it makes sense as to perhaps where some of these things have actually stemmed from and it's only when you start to perhaps shine a spotlight on there that we can then start to address the problem as, as the individual but then to be able to meet the needs of other people that you see that within is critical isn't mm. it absolutely and and what we we don't see that bit that's happening in the subconscious mind yep. what we see is this bit where you know um an anxious preoccupied looks like they're always worrying you know they're always like on the brink of kind of uh, emotionally being upset or crying or um, maybe we see that kind of loneliness creeping in with a dismissive avoidant, possibly it's frustration, possibly it's anger, and they just completely leave a scenario. They run away. They just can't deal with any emotional dysregulation. So they'll leave a scenario because they, they can't communicate effectively or they struggle when other people are showing their frustration. And in a workplace, if someone leaves abruptly or isn't able to communicate, that doesn't lead to a prosperous team. And the same with, um, you know, a fearful avoidant, they can become highly impatient, right, um, with others, especially when we, they perceive another to be incompetent, yeah. right? And then that, you know, that feeling of, well, why can't they do it? And then there's that frustration. And, and we see the unhealthier kind of coping mechanisms mm -hmm. that have sprouted from the emotions and the thoughts of those limiting beliefs that go back to that attachment-based theory. Mm, that's so well put because that that's exactly what's happening right but and then that's where I think that that potential blind spot is is that we start focusing perhaps on a solution that isn't well suited to that individual you mentioned earlier about giving people like the toolkits to be able to navigate this what are some of those toolkits look like yeah so um first of all uh, when I do my corporate workshops we go into a lot more detail and it's kind of skinning people up to recognize not quite psychologists but recognizing are these traits okay what do people need okay we do not as adults praise we don't validate um and we don't give compassion enough we will be fantastic when we give it to children or teenagers right but when we come to adults there's this feeling of well, they should be able to do that themselves. They don't need that. This is a job, right? We don't need to mother cuddle someone. And you're right, we don't to a point. However, 
if you're a leader, a manager, you're a C-suite and you want your team to be the most effective, have those prosperous results, you know, have those optimum closes, you need to be doing those things or training your staff to do those things so that everyone has their emotional needs met. Because if we have chronic unmet needs, it leads to exhaustion. Because if we're firing in an unhealthy way that's not true to our core and our attachment system, it will lead to exhaustion. If that continues, that's how we get burnout. And that's how we then, our results are not what we want them to be as a business, as a corporation. Yeah. it's so spot on what you're saying. Like I can I just in my mind right now, I've got all these different examples that are kind of running through. And I, just, I remember there was one person that came to work at one of the companies I was working for before um, to, to a head office setting. And he was just this absolute ray of sunshine because he would praise everyone. Within like the first week, he was everyone's best friend. Um, everyone knew him across the whole business, not just in the head office. Like, immediately because he- so an ap would love him and a securely attached would love him yep. fearful avoidant depending on the time but probably if you're a dismissive avoidant you would end up actually creating disconnection because yep. he would be triggering too much emotions and that was right? so interesting that you say that because that's kind of what <laughs> happening like it, it, there was almost like this you either love him or you hate him vibe going on and exactly um, And it comes from attachment theory, right? We either connect to emotions and we need it to be optimum or actually we don't and it disconnects us and that's not how we work. So going back to the whole thing as a leader, if you don't know this, how are you going to create the best team? Yeah, exactly. And he was the head of sales at that point as well. So you don't want 50% of your team feeling really motivated. You want 100% of your team feeling motivated, right? You need all of them on board um, and and, and feeling regulated with you, right? So they can then perform at their best. So what are some of the other blind spots perhaps that we haven't mentioned that perhaps organizations are facing that they might not even know they're facing? Um, So I think it's, it goes back to kind of this optimum um, feeling, right, within an individual. And it's not always about looking at the team as a whole. It's starting to be a bit more micro about what do individual people need, okay, um, and, and scaling it down. Because if we do have an anxious preoccupied within our team or on our floor, um, they will often be the person who will become exhausted quite often. And purely because they're firing from I'm not good enough. So possibly speaking, they will be the people pleaser. They will have no boundaries. They will take on project after project after project. They are more likely to be your yes um, man or woman, right? They are working crazily, but they keep saying yes, because they ultimately want to be that high achiever who doesn't disappoint somebody, okay? And that creates burnout, that creates exhaustion, chronic unmet needs that's eventually not going to work. Okay. Um, whereas a, um, a DA, for example, they are going to be working better in solo projects where they have independence, where they're not feeling trapped. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though, yeah, they're really logical, they're really rational and they're really good at their jobs as well. They have the same, right? A level of high achiever, a level of perfectionism, but if they have to deal with other people's dysregulations of emotions, um, that can be quite challenging for them and distract them. 
and mm. create, you know, kind of a breakdown of relationships within the team, which then becomes harder to manage through HR and things later on. Um, and a, a dismissive avoidant has really extreme boundaries. They'll be okay. They won't talk. They won't talk. They won't talk. Possibly another team member or a leader will be doing this. And all of a sudden, there's that extreme boundary setting. And people are almost like, whoa, where did that come from? Kind of thing. Mm. Um, because a DA struggles to talk along the way and communicate along the way. Yeah. Because they don't know how to as easily, right? Mm. Um, and again, a fearful avoidant, they tend to be boundaryless as well. But because they're so hyper vigilant, they have a bit more of a hold on what's going on compared to the AP. Mm. And that's where if they start to feel taken advantage of, the trust breaks down that kind of level of um, spitefulness of going, okay, well, I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah. Right. So it can create shutdown. And we call this um, activation or deactivation within the attachment system. Mm. So going back to your question about blind spots, if we're triggering that activation and deactivation the most in others, then it's not going to have that healthy team environment that we all kind of want in the corporate world. And is there some of those traits that are easier to spot than others? Or could it be that we're good at spotting the people that are similar to us? I mean, if they if just naturally, if they haven't had training on this. Um. I don't necessarily think they have to be similar to us, but I think the easiest to go with is, do they look like someone who needs to have people around them? They love to chat, they love to share emotions, they love that closeness, or are they someone who's a little bit maybe more distant, a little bit more emotionally cold um, and doesn't overshare in the workplace? I think that's the difference. And the, it's the sharing one um, that can really distinguish the difference between a more anxious and a more kind of avoidance spectrum um for sure mm, interesting it is it just it does seem like this a bit of a game of connecting the dots isn't it is it, it just about listening and watching and understanding and being open to actually recognize this within others and with ourselves mm, yeah definitely um and that's why i always say this work is great uh, for your personal relationships um whether that's romantic whether it's that's friends whether that's within the workplace, whether that's as a leader, a manager, um, or just a fellow co-worker, really. Um, I'm really passionate about attachment systems. And I think more people should definitely know how we fire, how we wire um, within ourselves, because regardless of the relationship, professional or personal, we are 50% of every relationship. And if we're struggling to kind of regulate ourselves or we are firing from our own limiting beliefs, it's our responsibility to kind of help put that in a more higher self-esteem secure place, but also in the workplace to have help to teeter out, because that's what a good manager does, right, Charlotte? Like we teeter out the best in those people within our teams. And if we don't know them on like the psyche level to a point, it makes it harder, it makes the job almost impossible. Exactly. Right. And the, the, like you said, the good leaders, the good managers are the ones that perhaps look at this for themselves first before they start looking at it within other people. Is that fair to say, does this work in your eyes have to start with the person? Because obviously a lot of your work is the relationships that people have with others, but also with themselves. Yeah, exactly. My clients, after they've done the work on themselves and we've kind of done this, you know, for a few weeks, 
they start to really empathize and start to see and hear others around them and whether it's their children right whether it's their parents whether it's people in the workplace um they can really start to go oh yeah you know you were talking about x y and z yeah i saw that this week or you know i saw that in this person or this person and and you can start to make um links to them and the first step is always awareness yeah and and it's it's so much easier to then communicate with other people isn't it and to like you said meet their emotional needs but just to have that level of understanding it it breeds cohesiveness right it makes it a lot easier to then get more out of a team member or to work more creatively with somebody else right because there there isn't this invisible block that's in between them yeah exactly exactly that so I'm sure you probably heard this quote somewhere along your way, which is that your relationships to work are a reflection of the relationships you have with yourself. What's your perspective on that? Agreed. <laughs> but most people don't know. Most people don't know that their relationship to work and also the relationship that they seek within others is their projection of what they either don't have within themselves um, and everything we ultimately do from a psychologist opinion is to seek love attachment um, and validation. Um, and that's probably come from deep rooted childhood. So yes, mm. I do believe nice. that that is a good quote. So, <laughs> tell, me, tell me more about what you just said about us projecting things onto others. Okay, so um, if I am an absolute perfectionist in my work, right? If I am a high achiever, um and I need to be the best at everything I will probably most definitely believe that there is something not quite right with me or I'm not quite good enough and if I'm not perfect and if I'm not achieving all of these things fundamentally I won't be loved so when it goes to the workplace those people who are always trying to do that somewhere in their subconscious they're trying to seek that love and validation from somewhere that maybe they haven't had at one moment in their life when they needed it. And will they ever find that through that means? Um, it's a lot of pressure to put on oneself. And in therapy work, we get to a point where it's okay for things not to be perfect. It's okay for things just to be done. And there's that, that healthy balance of trying to do it an amazing job, but at the same time, meeting your own needs and not running yourself into the ground. And there's a difference of performing at a high level where you're being secure within yourself and knowing when to stop. But there's a difference where we're firing from anxiety, from worry, from a kind of unsaid desperation to be seeking that validation and approval. Whereas if we can do it within ourselves and get to that more kind of regulated, balanced self, then we're doing it in a healthier way. Mm, yeah, definitely. That makes so much sense. So, Charlie, tell us more about the how, right? So I know you've you've definitely been dropping some things in through this conversation, but let's say somebody's hearing about attachment theory for the very first time they're recognizing some of these signs within themselves within other people like what are the, what do they do next now they have now they've got this awareness like oh okay there's there's the, the dots are connecting what what do they do now with regards to themselves experience first 
Yeah, so the first thing I would always say is find out what your attachment is, if you can. Um, and the easy way to do that, there's a link on my website. It says take the free attachment quiz. So that's on charlottesbowway.com. You can fill out some questions. Don't overthink it. Don't be led by ego. The first answer that comes into your head, just plug it in. Okay, and it will email you back a result. Um, and then there's a deeper dive, right? So there's some articles, there's some blogs, again, that you can go into and read and start to go, okay, yeah, this does seem a bit more like me, right? And once you've got that awareness and you can go, yeah, okay, I've got that label, then start to do a deep dive, right? And, you know, if you can get into therapy, you know, get into therapy, deep dive with an attachment specialist. If not, get some books, read some more literature um, around it. But genuinely speaking, we can't really regulate ourselves without a professional's support. So that's kind of where I come in. Um, but when we're going back to the workplace, for example, just start to observe yourself. You know, if you're feeling judged or if you're kind of feeling invalidated, yep. right, what's coming up for you? What emotions are coming up for you? Does that mean maybe there's that level of anxiety or worry there? OK, if you're actually being dominated more by anger, more frustration, OK, from a sudden change in pattern, for example, um, start to observe that um, and you possibly might be more on the avoidance spectrum. OK, um, so it's just trying to tune into what is it that's specifically triggering me? Yep. Right. Because it wouldn't be uh, the, the trivial reason that might come up. No. Right. Um, it could be that someone's just busy and they actually don't have time in that two minutes to listen to what you have to say. Yeah. But you're automatically going, oh, well, what I've got to say is never important. Yeah. There must be something wrong with me. They don't want to listen to me. Yeah. Right. Or I'm just not good enough. Yeah. And then when we're firing on that limiting belief, you can guarantee for the next hour at least that person is going to be ruminating in their mind, wasting time in the workplace and not actually performing. So it's just starting to hone in on what is starting to trigger you. So does that answer your how? Yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a great starting point for anybody listening. Because I And I think one, obviously, like knowing where you're starting is important. But that observation piece could be so revealing. <laughs> I remember the first time when I started doing any kind of personal development work, um, just that sheer witnessing of self and just without judgment which is not always an easy thing to do um it wasn't for me anyway um no. <laughs> it was extremely powerful right because then you're like okay well, well now I've got to own this because this is happening and actually I don't know why this person is behaving this way in relation to me and why am I actually behaving this way in relation to them and the minute you start questioning it well that's when change can happen isn't it exactly and the first step is awareness for sure. Uh, it's not it's not comfortable to dive into the unfamiliar. Um, it's comfortable to stay with what we think we know and what we think we believe to be true and what we think to be our reality. And as soon as we start to remove the lens of our bias yep. and the filter that we have to protect ourselves from vulnerability in whatever way that might be, actually you go oh, my gut intuition actually isn't on point. It's being hijacked. Yep. Um, and there's that level of self-sabotage that is workplace yep. and personal relationships and performance. Yep. 
And that's when I think it's so important to have that third party to, or that, that other person to be able to perhaps help you see some of those blind spots because you could be living for a very long time thinking, no, it's my intuition, it's my intuition, but actually it's just pure dysregulation. <laughs> it's not intuition at all. And there's a lot of leaders, right, that just <laughs> go on intuition and that's it. Honestly, that is the, a brilliant point because this is what I speak to people about all of the time. People go on about, you know, gut intuition. People go on about a feeling of what feels right or what feels wrong. Yep. But actually, ultimately, that's not true. That is dysregulation of our attachment nervous system. And even with people who have done significant work, and I, I know you have and you don't mind sharing the same with me, even at certain points, is it gut feeling or is it that nervous system regulation that's making us believe, yep. yeah, that is right or that is wrong, yep. that is safe, that is unsafe? Yep. Or actually, is it me completely self-sabotaging? Yep. Um, and I'm therefore believing it to be true because yep. that best serves my dysregulated attachment system, which is still so deep-rooted, even with book reading, even with therapy, even with coaching, over years that hard wiring is still there no matter how much you solder on and it's always good to check in with someone else yeah 100 percent. because you, you otherwise you end up fooling yourself like, there's been times where i've been like oh no I, I didn't make that choice because of that reason and even, even now i can look back and be like no that was absolute rubbish like that it's like in hindsight it's like no not at all that was you just trying to protect yourself it wasn't you actually living authentically and living from a place of safety and i think that's really important is to to bring back to what you said at the very beginning right about this being the ability to come back to a sense of safety because mm. we i didn't know i basically wasn't regulated at all pretty much until i was in my mid 20s mid to late 20s i didn't know what it felt mm. like to feel safe and to feel completely regulated and when i that's did but that in itself was really stressful because I didn't know what that was like. <laughs> I'm swimming in a new pool. But who, but who truly knows what safe feels like? True. And most people don't. Yeah. And if most people have that hardwired insecure attachment, yeah. they don't know what true emotional safety feels like. Yeah. So they fight it. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels alien when it does appear or when it is starts to be created and then you've almost got to like find your sense of safety within safety <laughs> which sounds really bizarre for somebody that maybe isn't quite exactly exactly and if you don't know what that feels like or looks like well you don't know if that is real safety or not yeah. and that's the scary thing there was a, a therapist said to me once um pretty much what you just said there is like who who actually defines safety like who knows what that feels like we have to define it for ourselves right we have to go and explore because it's going to be very different um so i think that's also a powerful exercise perhaps for anyone listening is what does safety look like i mean we talk in the workplace a lot about psychological safety right and there's a standard definition that's given to us by the experts but actually what does psychological safety look like to an individual what does physical safety look like to an individual i think until we start to define that for ourselves we're never going to get that level of like cohesion regulation and performance that we possibly could when it comes to our work life yeah very well said charlie what haven't i asked you that you're dying for me to ask you that our listeners like need to hear when it comes to relationships in the workplace or even just attachment theory? Um, 
I think for the podcast, we've given the nugget. So I think it's definitely do that attachment quiz if you haven't already done it. I think if you're in the corporate space, um, you can either come to the British um, Business Group Masterclass, um, which I'm running on the 6th of February, 8 a.m. You can book it via their events um, section. And then, or if you have a team that you feel actually this would be really important for us to have a prosperous team, um, then reach out to me and I can come and deliver one for your team specifically and go into the deep dive. Um, because I think in in the short space of a podcast, there's no way we can cover absolutely everything. And I hope that we've no. given people enough enough kind of thinking points um, to go, oh, yeah, actually, maybe we should um, get into this. Um, and even if it's from a personal point of view as well, um, and it's your personal relationships, yep. right, with yourself, as we talked about, um, the importance of relationship with self before others, yep. um, reach out and, and we take it further. Yeah, amazing. Uh, I would implore anybody that's listening to go ahead and do all mm. of the things that Charlie just mentioned, reach out to her, have this conversation and see where it leads, because the relationship with ourselves really does have a massive knock-on effect to the relationship we have and the quality of our lives, whether it be in work or outside of work. So I know that, you know, a lot of listeners are busy people. They're people that have got lots of responsibilities, but this is like one of the core things that will make everything else so much easier. Definitely. And I think, um, you know, to finish on the quality of our relationships, whether they're personal, professional, really do determine the quality of our lives. Yeah, I think that's a, a good point to end on. Nice. Um, one last question before you leave us for today. Um, and this is the same question we ask every single guest that we have on the show, which is which one of the kind of global goals do they feel so passionately about that we will share a donation on their behalf? Um, and why is it so important? And you have suggested for you, it is the quality education. And you believe this is one of like the core goals that we need to be focused on. Why is it so important for you? Education, 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 right? Um, without it, um, I truly don't believe that anything else can build upon a weak foundation. Um, and we need to make sure that all of the table legs um, are solid and that comes from education because uh, then we can build on top of that. Um, and whether, you know, if that's the fortunate people in the world or the unfortunate, the more education we have, I do believe it gives us um, self-empowerment um, and ultimately um, helps uh, you know connect develop um from a, a better healthier standpoint that has such a ripple effect doesn't it i mean just having on this conversation today is jam-packed full of education and that could be like the, the the key that's just been missing for someone and that could just go and change the rest of their life and somebody else's so thank you so so much for being here charlie um I'll make sure all of the links that you've mentioned go into the show notes as well so all of our listeners can come and find you Great. Thank you very much. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. You're welcome.